Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. You know, with all the various periodicals I have, a lot of them do have Masonic book reviews, and I've been kind of skipping those, and I don't know why. So what I'm going to start doing is sharing some of these book reviews uh, in some of our podcast episodes as well. So again, these aren't going to be necessarily books that I have read, but these are going to be books reviewed in some of the periodicals that I have. And so it'll give you an idea if it's a book that you're interested in. So we're going to start off with The Radical Enlightenment. Pantheists, Freemasons, and Republicans by Margaret C. Jacob, published in 2003 by Temple Publishers. This text is a revised second edition of the original written in 1981. The author acknowledges that since that time, a considerable amount of scholarship has gone into the subject. She uses this second edition as an opportunity to modernize and shorten the original and to correct minor errors in transcription. I did not read the first edition, but I reviewed her book, Living the Enlightenment, published in 1991. I began that review by saying it is probably one of the best books written by a disinterested third party on the influence of Freemasonry in the development of modern civil society and its impact on civilization. The contents of the Radical Enlightenment are no less impressive in acknowledging the influence of the craft during this period in history. Keep in mind, it is not meant to be a book about Freemasonry. It is a book about the Radical Enlightenment and its influence by or on pantheism, Freemasonry, and Republicanism. For that reason, it is all the more significant in its discussion of the craft. Both of these books serve as a stimulus for other researchers to explore the significance of Freemasonry in the Age of Enlightenment. The author makes an observation concerning the failure of historians to recognize organizational influence on society when she writes, Despite the importance of Freemasonry as one of the social institutions that enhanced political stability in the Hanoverian period, it has received scant attention from British academic historians. Her emphasis in this text is placed upon those early fragments that reveal political tendencies and intellectual interest. This text delves deeply into the origins and development of a form of the Enlightenment that impacted civil society of that time including the political, social, and religious character of that society. There can be little doubt from the writings of Jacob that Freemasonry played an integral role in the Radical Enlightenment and the Enlightenment as a major influence on political intrigue. Both English science and the English Revolution, despite the interpretations offered by their apparent heirs, are central to the history of the Radical Enlightenment, and so, too, is Freemasonry. It brings Freemasonry into a perspective distinctly different from what we profess today. It is not necessarily what we should want to read concerning the craft, but it is something we should want from the members of the craft. We must bear in mind that Freemasonry itself is apolitical today, but we encourage our members to participate in affairs of state, and we emphasize a commitment to the precepts of liberty and equality for all peoples. Thus, the content of this book may be alarming to the Mason who fails to consider both the times involved and the perspective of the member. Her discussion in this book contains enough significant information that this review cannot possibly cover the full scope of her presentation. 
Her intellectualism and commitment to detail through research makes her work invaluable to her academic profession and to recorded history. Margaret Jacob has caused me to think more deeply into the influence of Freemasonry and its impact on the world, perhaps more than any other author. I have found, however, that one does not read Margaret Jacob. Mar one studies Margaret Jacob, and that is not bad at all. I would encourage every Masonic leader to study her work. Her astute observations concerning the craft should serve as a stimulus to work toward more lofty goals. She writes, for example, the new research presented here adds further weight to the contention that early Enlightenment culture cannot be understood separately from the study of Masonic lodges and their network. Unfortunately, there will be those who choose not to read her work simply because it does require some effort. Now, I have not read this particular book he mentions, but I have read The Origins of Freemasonry by Margaret Jacob, and he is 100% correct. You don't read that book looking for something fictional or for something that's going to be free-flowing and easy to read. It's very educational, it's very detailed, and very, very informative. So the second book in this review is called Masks of Solomon by C. Bruce Hunter, published in 2003 by McCoy Publishing and Masonic Supply Company. The author is becoming a prolific writer on the subject of Freemasonry. Having authored Legacy of the Sacred Chalice in 2001, Inner Workings in 2002, he also has several additional books projected for the future. Most Freemasons, and certainly all Masonic scholars, are aware that the greatest mysteries concerning Freemasonry are not what we swear to keep and conceal, but are the unknowns of our origins, our development, and even our reason for existence. It is these unknowns that the author has chosen to write about. In doing so, he has interjected his theories into the mix. Masks of Solomon is written to reveal those theories relative to the origin of the third degree of Freemasonry. It is his belief that the third degree was developed to satisfy the more intellectual and inquiring minds that came from with the evolution from operative to speculative Freemasonry, and that it is probably a logical assumption. He concludes that this evolution began in Scotland, which seems a logical assumption. He also concludes that speculative Freemasonry began through the efforts of William Shaw, who was working to revive the stonemasons' lodges, which were slowly dying as a result of the decline of the building of the cathedrals and other stone structures. The title of the book, Masks of Solomon, comes about as the author creates a theory that the third degree developed from a form of theatrical entertainment called masks played out in the court of King James. Masks began as a relatively simple form of entertainment and evolved into something more serious. It conveyed a lesson similar to that injected into the stonemason's lodge when a second degree was added to exemplify bringing order out of chaos. It is the contention of the author that Shaw, who also held the title Master of Works in the court of King James, transplanted the Renaissance concepts of masks from the palace into the stonemason's lodge. Using considerable speculation, Hunter then implies that the third degree was written as a tribute to King Solomon, that in actuality is a tribute to King James, England's King Solomon. The third degree, according to the author, was designed to thank King James, William Shaw, and others involved in resurrecting the craft, and that the craft's legend, designed to convey moral lessons on the surface, actually conveys the real story of the creation of the Masonic fraternity. He states that the third degree was written in 1725 to honor King James on the 100th anniversary of his death. The index contains the original version of the Shaw Statutes of 1598 and 1599, together with modern English versions. It also contains the memorial inscription found on his crypt, a section on the origins of the masks, and the proclamations issued by King James regarding the rebuilding of London. 
Although the book is interesting reading, I found that so much speculation stretched logical reason. It might be possible that the author is correct and that the speculation, or at least part of it, is correct, but I had difficulty accepting portions of it. Nonetheless, it shows much study and reasoning on his part and does stimulate thought. You might wish to read it. And then the final book referenced in this section is Hurry Up, Son, Searching for Divine Truth by Kenton E. McElhatton, published in 2003 by Dorrance Publishing Company. Hurry Up, Son is an interesting little paperback book of only 114 pages, including the bibliography. Although not considered a Masonic book, 13 of the pages deal specifically with the subject of Freemasonry. There is some outdated statistical information in the chapter. It is, as the subtitle implies, a book in which one man records his search for divine truth. The author, an engineer and businessman, has put into words his lifelong struggles beginning at age 11 in a search for the revelation of God as he was taught it to be found in the written word. Miguel Hatton, a 33rd degree Scottish Rite Mason, has spent a far greater portion of his life contemplating the incongruities of scripture than most of us ever would. Hurry Up Son is a story of one man grappling with what should be the single most significant decision in one's life. I found the book to be interesting because I have experienced much of the same perplexities regarding faith and dealing with related mental distress as he had. Many readers will probably be able to relate to the words of the author even though their conclusions may differ. When I read the preface, my first impression was, wow, this man is walking a steep hill. Then reading further, I began to feel that it was the writing of an old man telling of his younger years. I found myself changing impressions of both him and the book's content throughout my reading. I concluded that the book is the writing of an intelligent man with an inquiring mind, well-trained in the process of thinking, not afraid to challenge reasons for his faith, and although still searching, has found a peace within himself and his God that too few find. It is a book that may bring satisfaction to some readers for no other reason than they find themselves not alone in this lifelong search for divine truth. There will be other readers who may regard the contents as obtrusive and even objectionable to their commitment to what they accept as divine truth. In the end, it is for every man to find meaning within himself, and this is what the author conveys. It is a difficult book for me to recommend because, regardless of my thinking, my words could be construed as an endorsement of the pathways followed by the author. If you are confident in your faith and not averse to challenging your convictions, you might give it a try. So as we move forward sharing some book reviews, uh, this next set of book reviews comes from the July-August 2004 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA, and starts with a book called Honor Bright, Honor in Western Literature by George F. Jones, published by Savannah in 2000. And the review is, I really like this book. Mr. Jones begins with an excellent preface making the point that the same word, honor, has meant very different things at different times, and that we must guard against the assumption that we know these meanings. He then has a very good discussion on shame culture, a culture such as ancient Rome in which men avoided evil acts to avoid the public shame which would result, and guilt culture, introduced by Christianity, in which one avoided evil not to escape public scorn, but in order to escape divine judgment. Both continue to play a role in our thinking. Jones traces the idea through history and through examples from literature, showing us how the concept of honor has changed and evolved, and how it has been modified by cultural norms and understandings. It's a rich and fascinating book, and one every Mason should read. It would be, literally, an honorable thing to do. The next book is called The Quest for Light, Masonic Essays of Wallace MacLeod, 
second revised edition by Wallace McLeod. Uh, Lancaster, Virginia, Anchor Communications, LLC, uh, printed in 2004. For many readers, it's enough to know that Brother Wallace McLeod wrote the book. He is, past question, the best writer in the field of masonry alive today. His style is clean and lucid, and his insights are profound. For those who do not know, Dr. McLeod was Grand Abbot of the Blue Friars from 1991 to 2004. Brother Wallace named Brother S. Brent Morris, 33rd degree Grand Cross, Grand Abbot, as of March 28, 2004. The Blue Friars is an international society of Masonic writers. The blue represents Freemasonry, and friars, derived from the Latin word frater, meaning brother, also alludes to the monks in the Middle Ages who kept scholarship alive by copying and thus preserving the surviving written records of classic Greece and Rome. Brother McLeod's Masonic and academic credentials are literally too long to list here, but it's safe to say you will never see a more truly impressive Masonic resume. The book is a collection of essays with such titles as The Credibility Gap in Masonic Ritual, The Universality of Freemasonry, The Evolution of Ritual, Masonic Symbols, Their Use and Abuse, and many more. In addition to great scholarship and writing, there is a dry wit which sparkles through the pages like sugar crystals or ground glass, and it can be both. This is a great book to own and a very thoughtful book to give a friend as a gift. And lastly is the book Inside Prince Hall by David L. Gray, 2003 Australian and New Zealand Masonic Research Council, North American Edition, 2004. Brother Gray has written an important book. There has been little information available on Prince Hall Masonry and its development. Inside Prince Hall meets this need nicely in a balanced and informative manner. The maps and charts are especially helpful in understanding the spread and development of Prince Hall Masonry and the permutations of the ritual, as well as the interrelationships between the various Prince Hall Grand Lodges, which can be a little confusing sometimes, particularly if you are interested in the history of Freemasonry and the way Freemasonry has interacted with the history of the United States. You need this book in your library. And with that, I'm actually going to throw in a little... Uh, a little blurb. So, out here in California, with our lodge being Solomon Staircase Lodge number 357 in Buena Park, we've had a couple of visitors from Prince Hall Lodges that have asked to come in and visit. Um, it's been great having them. We actually had the history or the legend of Prince Hall presented at our lodge one night. And what was really cool is they invited us to go down and see a, th a first degree performed. And it was done on three different men the same, I think it was three, it might have been four. Anyways, three to four men at the same time on the same evening. So this is very different from what would be a one-day class because they didn't go through all three degrees in one day. But what they did do was initiate three different guys at the same time. So if you ever get a chance to do that, I would suggest, you know, go out and uh, check out a Prince Hall degree if you can. It's very interesting. There's, depending on where you are and what your jurisdiction is, it may be very different. It may be very similar. For us in California, it was pretty different. But I always allude to it this way. It's kind of like a movie you know and love that's been redone. You know the story. You love the story. It's just slightly different, but you still recognize it. And with that, thanks for listening. So our final piece for this episode is going to go over some book reviews from the May-June 2012 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry Southern Jurisdiction. So the first one is Brother Brothers Journal, The Early Years, 1893-1911, to by Michael A. Halloran. 
So Michael A. Halloran is better known for his book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, Freemasonry in the American Civil War. But this book, Brother Brother's Journal, is, let's see what the review says. Uh, but, but, but. The new book, Brother Brother's Journal, the early years, 1893 to 1911, collects those articles and adds some new ones. This is wickedly funny stuff. To an uncomfortable degree, I identify with Brother Brother. He has an astonishing ability to miss the point. Ted Bastian's illustrations capture the character perfectly. I think you will really like this book. So apparently this is a series of articles from the Scottish Right Journal Discoverer series, and then it's been added with some illustrations to make it kind of fun. So the next one here is called My Book, My Opinion, or Thoughts Garnered on My Masonic Journey. Journey. This is by Hugh Young, past Grandmaster, Grand Lodge of Alberta. Copies of this book were being handed out at the Conference of Grandmasters, and I was lucky enough to snag one. It's possible to suspect that most worshipful Brother Young can be a little crusty when events warrant, but there's no doubting the wisdom with which he writes as well. Some of it hurts. Chapter 11, When Masons Grow Old, opens thus. God, grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway, the good fortune to run into the ones I do, and the eyesight to tell the difference. For those of us who have fallen into the sere and yellow Masonic leaf, the chapter is a cautionary essay. To the younger ones, it is an important explanation of what happens to a Mason as the years accumulate, and a blunt warning to let us totter along lest we beset you with our canes. Curmudgeonry aside, there is good advice here for Masons, Masters of Lodges, and the craft in general. And, as he points out, if you don't like it, tough. It's a fun and insightful read. Now, the next book review, the book is... I'm not even going to try to say it in Spanish. My Spanish is awful. No, I'll try it anyways. Herencias Secretas, Masonería Política y Sociedad en México. Or in English, Secret Heritages, Masonry, Politics, and Mexican society. Dealing with Masonic matters in Latin American is not easy due to its controversial nature and lack of availability of documentary resources. The controversial aspect has to deal with the strong Catholic enclave inherited by Spanish colonization, in particular for large countries like Mexico, and the strong opposition by the Catholic Church to Freemasonry since the papal bull of Clement XII. In Eminente of April 28, 1738, the lack of primary documentary resources for adequate research is sometimes the most discouraging reason for researchers of Masonic subjects. Dr. De Los Reyes Heredia, a professor at the University of Houston, Texas, deals with both challenges in an outstanding manner, being able to present a book which is both adequate for the casual or curious reader and rigorous enough for the academic reader. The book gives us a historical account of Mexican Freemasonry with a clear perspective on how Freemasonry was involved in the formation of the Mexican nation. The book is well organized and logically divided in four sections. Part 1 deals with the origins of Freemasonry, the Vatican's involvement, and its appearance in Mexico, exploring the role of the craft in the independence of Mexico from Spain. It shows how local Catholics sided with Freemasonry in the independence movement, defying both the Spanish ruler and the Catholic Church. Part 2 is a logical continuation with a depiction of the political role, secularization, and anti-clericalism from 1820 to 1876. He describes the environment of censorship which forced the smuggling of Masonic books and the translation to Spanish of Thomas Smith Webb, the Freemasons Monitor, or Illustrations of Masonry in Two Parts, which became the fundamental guide for the development of the York Rite in Mexico. 
Dr. De Los Reyes Heredia explains the rivalry between the York, or Yorkinos, and Scottish Rite followers, in particular the reasons for such contention among Masons. Part 3 takes us into the years of President Porfirio Diaz, who was a Mason, the Mexican Revolution, and the involvement of Freemasonry in so many years of revolution. Part 4 continues beyond the revolutionary days and the transformation of Freemasonry in Mexico. The book has an epilogue with a reflection about Freemasonry in its historical context and about Freemasons' leadership and their participation as active members of the political environment of the country. Finally, he closes the book with two appendix notes followed by a full bibliography. The book is an excellent historical review of Mexico and the involvement of Freemasonry in the creation of that country, both in positive and negative ways. The author depicts the participation of prominent Masons from Mexico, Spain, France, England, and the United States in the formation of the Mexico and its Masonic structure. The most important issue is how Dr. Guillermo de los Reyes Heredia, is a responsible researcher and a non-Mason, came to present how Freemasonry helped to spread the gospel of liberty and the formation of a strong society. This is a must-read book for anyone involved, in particular, with the Masonic or Mexican historical research of those countries involved in the development of Mexican nation. The next book is called The Key to Modern Freemasonry, The Hidden Mysteries of Nature and Science, by Charles C. Lawrence. Brother Charles Lawrence, Emeritus Professor of Engineering at the University of East London, brings a unique approach to Masonic research, the scientific method. His particular interest is in discovering who was responsible for inserting scientific concepts, some outmoded today, into Masonic ritual. He approaches the problem with the cold logic of Francis Bacon and the dogged determination of a bulldog. Following his reasoning is like watching a murder mystery as the detectives determine who had means, motive, and opportunity. In the course of his investigation, Brother Charles looks into the mathematics of the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, the changing understanding of the nature of light, the noble families connected with Freemasonry, and the founding fathers of the fraternity. He casts a figurative net around each suspect, and the overlapping nets become circles in a Venn diagram to narrow down the suspects. I'm not sure which I enjoyed most. The side trips into 18th century science, the biographies of the possible authors of the inserted scientific passages, or the overview of English history interwoven with that of Freemasonry. The book assumes its readers are familiar with the English royal arch, which is a bit different from what we use in the U.S. I thought that Brother Lawrence assumed too early a date for the appearance of some of the royal arch lectures without sufficient evidence, but his scientific approach to narrowing down suspects is a marvel to behold. And our final book is Secret Societies in America, Foundational Studies of Fraternalism by William D. Moore and Mark A. Tabert. Anyone fascinated by fraternal organizations or secret societies knows that something happened 100 to 150 years ago. That something was the birth of an amazing profusion of new organizations, each fine-tuned to meet some need of its members. Health, life, or burial insurance, a place to drink, a place to be with others like them, or moral uplift. And each of these brave new societies patterns itself after Freemasonry with passwords, handshakes, hierarchical memberships, and distinctive regalia. From this high watermark of fraternalism over a century ago, we have with us today the Shriners, the Grotto, the Elks, the Moose, the Eagles, the Knights of Columbus, and more. The modern structure of the family of Freemasonry evolved during this period. Blue Lodge, Eastern Star, Scottish Rite, York Rite, and Shrine. Brother Mark Tabbitt and Professor William Moore are two leading students of this period and movement. They have gathered together 19 original articles that describe the fraternal movement firsthand from the perspective of someone who lived in the period. 
These essays provide a fundamental understanding of how secret societies were viewed at the time. It's virtually impossible to find membership figures for many of these groups, but W.S. Harwood gives contemporary estimates in his 1897 article in the North American Review. And while fraternal benefit societies were the foundation of our modern insurance industry, they didn't always live up to their goals. As Walter H. Page points out in his 1911 article from The World's Work, on top of the reprints of original works, Professor Moore has a wonderful, if too short, overview of the period and the movement. If you like fraternalism, if you want to understand the immediate roots of 21st century Freemasonry, if you like exploring obscure byways of American history, then this is a must-have volume for your library. Buy it now. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.